0: This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's
1: time for Bookings.
2: Kia ora. welcome to Bookings with Ruth Todd and Moran Rout. Ruth, I'm. My book is not particularly Christmassy, but I think it'll be of interest to Christchurch people. It's a, a book about the um, historical buildings at Christ College with drawings by mainly by um, Sir Miles Warren and um, others by uh, Alec Bruce. It's a very beautiful
1: book. Yes. Well, mine's another fiction book to read over the holidays and by Rosetta Allen. Rosetta Allen is a best-selling author of prose and poetry. Her work is widely anthologised and she's published two volumes of poetry before I um, came across her first novel, Purgatory and talked with her in 1914. It was That book was selected by Apple Books as one of the best reads of that year and since then she's received the Kathleen Grattan Poetry Award, so many awards, I can't go through them all, and a Michael mm-hmm. King Writers Centre Emerging Writer Residency and was the 2019 University of Waikato and Creative New Zealand Writer in Residence. In 2016 she was the first New Zealander to take up the St Petersburg Art Residency located within the Museum of Nonconformist Art in Russia, where she pen- spent time researching her second novel, The Unreliable People. What a record, since I talked to you in 1914. I mean, yes, 1914. 2014, sorry. 14.
0: yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm doing it. Ex- Well, for my age, if it was 1914, thank you. I love that date, though. Um, I have been busy, yes. Yes, you
1: you have. And Crazy Love has just knocked me out, as I sort of expected, because um, Purgatory certainly did. I wondered why you chose this. It could have been a memoir. You chose fiction. Why? Uh, Well,
0: I initially was writing it completely as fiction and there were quite a of the novel was dedicated to Robert Muldoon. Uh, the well, actually starts with a letter to Robert Muldoon, which reflects a novel I sent to him back in 1984. And so that it, it was the publisher who um, bring it back from that and bring it closer to the parts that I had written from my life. So it ended up being. Something I hadn't intended, which is lovely, really, because when I was writing it, I would have been self-conscious to write it this way if I thought that it was going to be what it ended up to be, um, which is to my life experience. So it gave me the ability to just write it all down bravely and and just with, with, with the thought that it would be hidden within the fiction of Muldoon. And so pulling that all back came very close, and it was a last-minute decision of the publisher to ask me if I would be brave enough to admit that it was drawn from my life. So it was all very last-minute that I admitted that part. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's
1: written in three parts, before, during, and after, and that's um, Vicky's, uh, the narrator, in the first person, very powerful first person, and then uh, she meets Billy, at the end of the first um, part, the before. And he's a talented artist. He's an entrepreneurial, charismatic, intelligent with mental health issues. And they marry. And so the second part is really the 30 years of marriage, isn't it? Um, And then the last part is after. And I just found... I, I was glad you wrote it as fiction because I think it's more powerful... I think fiction's always more powerful than anything else. And it's set against um, the political background of Muldoon and Billy's bipolar mental illness. And it's a love story and uh, an incredible love story about how does love endure um, when things go up and down with people, more than up and down, I guess. That's putting it down a bit. But... um, you know, I'm I'm absolutely um, gobsmacked by it, uh, Rosa, Rosetta, because it um, I didn't know how it was going to finish, and um, but that they were two characters that really were in love all the time, weren't they?
0: Right, and I'm so glad that you see that it's a love story because to me it is a love story. It's. It's it's it's, you know, that question you get asked, What's the secret to a long marriage? We've now been married years and I would get asked that so often and I really unanswer it and, and that is that you just keep on keep supporting one another and, and that's what we have done throughout our lives and that's for me really important why there was a before, during and after, because the before he very much saves the keys. Key. And in the middle, she's trying very hard in various different ways and, and uh, to save him. And one of those ways is to actually come to the point where she realizes she would have to give up her life, perhaps to save herself, perhaps to save him. And in the, in the final part, you know, life goes on. You uh, You continue saving each other. Through um, life's curveballs that forever come at you, <laughs> so I'm glad you can see that it is a love story. To me, it very much is a love story. Oh yes,
1: yes, I never doubted that. Um, it made me think about marriage and how you coped so well, and um, and how he was always loving you, and um, and you you hung in there, didn't you? Um, and I'm thinking about the title, Crazy Love, as the Ben Morrison song suggests, c- crazy love can take away the troubles. It can, though, add a whole lot more.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, and there's music motifs all the way through, and I hope that when when the readers are reading it, that they, their, their foot starts tapping, the, yes. especially the readers who recognise those songs from the 80s. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I certainly do. And... Um, it's courageous. It, it was a courageous step to write it and to write it as fiction. Um, I'm so glad you did that, and whoever decided with you that that would be the way to go. Um, tell me about Billy, and because there's a lot about mental health in that second part. And what mental health, I mean, mental health is in the news every day and it's not getting any better in New Zealand and there's there's no help for so many people. It's a huge, huge gap in our lives at the moment.
0: There's a huge conversation. When I think of um, the early years that, um, of our marriage, we were married in 1984 and, you know, 80s and 90s, there wasn't much discussion around mental unwellness that I'm aware of. There may have been, but I wasn't aware of. So it wasn't until 2012 when my husband had his collapse that I became aware of um, what had been affecting us all those years because bipolar is a psychical disorder. It's a mental disorder, which means it's not an illness. It won't be cured. It will always be with you, and it's just a life. Um, disorder that you need to um, negotiate with from time to time. Um, so it wasn't until 2012 that that um, I realised that um, my husband had been diagnosed some years before. But in the usual um, fashion of, I think of the stoicism of men, particularly from um, our era, and uh, there there was, you know. There was the rejection of that that he could that he could continue, um, and he's a he's a he's a very successful man and everything that he puts his hand to, um, that he could that he could continue and not have to admit or 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 seek treatment for it. But obviously, there came a point where he did, and that's. Um, today, there's a lot more conversation around mental illness and a lot more acceptance and a lot more help. But you're quite right that there is not enough and there never will be enough, especially in these times, because what what I eventually caused my husband's collapse came three years after the GFC affected us and we, we lost our business. and We spent a year trying to rebuild and lost our home and our business and um uh, and, and that's when we decided we it was pointless trying to get a business back up and running um in that time at the GFC. So we took uh he took a sabbatical and went to art school. It was it was three years later after that event had happened that he had collapsed. Um, with that huge weight of failure and loss, which I know you think about what's happening with COVID now and the businesses that are that are being shut down and um, in the throughout the country and in Auckland, and that's people's lives. That's people's families, and and I know that that's affecting our mental health um, spike now. I also know that that's going to continue. And my my heart just goes out to those young families. It really does. Now I'm getting quite emotional. That um, have a hard road ahead of them. I know that road. I've been there, and. Um, this need for mental health is is growing and you see in the newspaper that psychologists are wanting to move offshore because New Zealand is just too hard for them because you know, at the moment there's a six month rating list just to get into a, a see a psychiatrist. This situation's not going to get any better. <laughs> is what I'm saying. And we all need to have loving arms for each other. We as do. much as we possibly can. We do and um, that's
1: what I was really so happy um, as I read the last part um, that you both um, managed to do that, and you especially, because it's a very dark novel, people might find it too hard but it's so honest and so courageous and it's heartbreaking and and it's hopeful so it's stayed with me I think I'll have to go and read it again um and I put myself (laughs) in your position and I haven't been in your position in in my marriage but um I had a son who was sort of bordering on um mental health issues and um yeah, and he's showed some of this, but not quite as bad. But um, so good—it's just so brave, so brave.
0: I wonder if you would mind me saying, yes, it is a, a little dark. I do tend to write a little dark, but this is my funniest novel, and I do hope that um, you can also see—you know—that you the ridiculousness of life that can often be um, seen as uh, the ridiculousness is is funny. You know, we can
1: release
0: oh, yes, ourselves and laugh at ourselves,
1: yes. and very much in the novel, I'm hoping that people can mm. be laughing as well. <laughs> yes, fairly black humour, but I did laugh. <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> yes. Thanks, Definitely Rosetta. So
1: yeah. beautifully written, and um, congratulations! It will go to lots of places, I hope, and lots of people. Crazy Love is Rosetta Allen's new novel, and it's published by. Penguin Random House. You're listening to Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.
2: There's a magnificent new book out, which is entitled Architectural Drawings of Christ College. It's been put together by Sir Miles Warren and Alec Bruce, and it's been published by a local publisher, Quentin Wilson. And uh, Alec, of course, has taken over from Sir Miles as the, I don't know, if, are you the official Christ College architect? <laughs>
3: What's your the, the title? Question, the question of whether an official there is an official um, position has been debated quite vigorously for about a decade, so I, I can't even answer that. No.
2: <laughs> well... Tell me about, I mean, that you know, I mentioned Quentin because the whole book is a collaboration, isn't it, between you and Sir Miles and all it's got the most, you know, comprehensive collection of architectural drawings and watercolours and a few photographs, but it is a collaboration, isn't
3: it? Oh, very definitely, yes. Um, Miles's idea... Um I think sensing that there really isn't anything that succinct about the the recent decades at Christ's um I mean everybody knows the campus in the city, but there's no real understanding of of how it's arranged or who the architects were and in some of the phases of development so really that I think was. and he enlisted me and Quentin to, to uh, put something together.
2: You've got a pretty good archive, don't you? Or there is a good archive of all this stuff?
3: Well, you know, it's part of, as you know, in the, in the digital era, things come from so many different sources, but um, Christ's had good archives, um, but predominantly hard copy. The um, council increasingly is a fantastic resource, uh, and we, by virtue of having worked on so many of the buildings, have had to acquire information in digital formats over 16, 17 years, and that really is now the way in which um, information like this is brought together. I mean, some of these, some of these images. Uh, don't really exist as hard copy in a drawer in our office, but they're still attributed to us as as being in our possession. Mm.
2: I think, is it the Bursar or is it Miles that says that this collection of, of buildings that represent the campus, which seems like a very American term for what it is. it probably isn't it's probably latin but um is remarkable in in new zealand isn't it as a as a um a body of educational buildings
3: i can't think of many things that match it more um otago university perhaps in places um but i think about the schools around the country uh, and i can't honestly think of anything that compares with it and i I think that comes out of it being in an urban location on such a, a relatively small piece of land. Um, you know, if you think of other well-known private schools around the country, you know, Kings College perhaps. Well, they have some heritage buildings. Um, Wanganui Collegiate, same again, some heritage buildings. Otago Boys, some heritage buildings, but not really, um, not really the um, the whole sweep. Um, and, and, and of such quality, really, to, to match what they have at Christ.
2: So, tell us about the first, bu- the oldest, the first building.
3: We did it. Uh, well, start. The, oldest, the oldest building is is called Big School, eighteen sixty, eighteen fifty. Just where that? I can probably find that. But um, can you believe that the drawings were in the Possession of um, Fitzgerald when he was actually on one of the first four ships making his way to New Zealand. So he had <laughs> he had conceived he had conceived of what a classroom building should be before he even departed England, which is remarkable, really, <laughs>
2: is, isn't it? Yes, he came fully yeah. prepared.
3: He did. He did. And and it, it, and can you believe it? It has actually stood the test of time. I mean, it's been adapted and changed, but um, it's still there in a very robust and, and, um, you know, it's it's such a a clear expression of of all of the intent of of those people who founded the institution. 1863 it was built, um, and I know it's referred to as the oldest surviving stone building um, at college.
2: The colleges had just um, about every, you know, well-known and um, prestigious Canterbury architect uh, in the in the older days. You because know, Miles was pretty firmly in control for about forty years. Um, but um, over the years, just about every name architect in in Canterbury has has a building in that complex.
3: Yeah, but it, it is a bit of a roll call, uh, really, of the, um, the people who were leading in the profession, um, at, you know, during their lives. Um, there are some who stand out as exceptionally able, and others who were, you know, perhaps less so. Um, and, and you can you pick that up as you study the buildings and and get to know them, um, really through the sense of. Um, you know the, the quality, not necessarily functionally, but whether they are simply attractive buildings and nice to be in, and those more qualitative things, and that's really where you get the sense that you know, really very very capable architects have completed really excellent buildings, and, and that's the feeling that people get from the the whole campus. I mean the the, the crown and the the jewel in the crown would have to be the dining hall on Ralston Avenue um, by Cecil Wood. And Miles quite correctly has identified it as the most important building in his career. And over over time I've come to realise that without that building, the Christ's College campus wouldn't have the status and dignity that it really does and wouldn't do so much for the city either. So, it really is a world-class building, and mm. and fortunately, um Still with us after yeah. the earthquakes.
2: Well, that that was one of the points I was going to raise with you. In the college board, in their wisdom, but you know, uh, definitely um, prompted by miles, um, did a significant amount of earthquake strengthening before we had the earthquakes, which was really important, wasn't it?
3: You can be sure that half of the buildings would have um, would have been severely damaged um, if, if that work had not been completed right through from the um, 80s, right through until the earthquake struck. Um, yes, there would have been very significant damage, which of course now makes the campus even more precious.
2: Of course it does. Because of the, the yeah. number
3: of, of, of heritage buildings in the city that weren't strengthened and, mm. and therefore collapsed and are no longer with us. So yeah. it, it, it really is special. But, yes, there was a lot of foresight there. Um, and uh, you know, I shouldn't mention only Miles, perhaps, in that respect. Um, the, the, the the structural engineering practice, Holmes, Wood, Paul and Johnson, um, Brian Wood um, of that engineering practice had an enormous um, amount to do with the successive projects that strengthened the these old stone buildings over those decades and, and uh, I mean and it's been done the work was done with enormous ingenuity mm. uh, and, and it essentially has has um, ensured their survival
2: mm-hmm. Alec you um, as I said are now officially or unofficially <laughs> taken over the reins from Sir Miles, and you're an old boy yourself, as Sir Miles was, and indeed you were head boy. So you probably never imagined when you were boarding there and, and, and and, you know, being part of that school for those years, that you would end up taking on this prestigious position, this important position.
3: No, I, I didn't. I, I was it was a decade after I graduated before the opportunity arose, and I certainly didn't see it coming. Um, I, my interest in architecture you know, obviously started a long time before that, but um, it was completely unexpected. And um, you know, several people were approached to submit their credentials and a process was um worked through and and um, to my great delight I was appointed to help sir miles with a building that was too large for him to do as a um, on his own because by the time um, he he had actually retired from his architectural practice and was still completing work for Christ's college and they asked him to design a large building which uh, is the fine arts and technology building and he simply said well I can't possibly do it on my own and um, I won't take you through what happened next but um, it, it became very political and the long and short of it is that um, you know, I was nominated after a, 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 quite a process and, and uh, you know, was had the, had the uh, opportunity to work with Miles on this large building which was... Fantastic. I mean, I'd worked in his practice as a, as a young man when I graduated and obviously we got on and, and um, I think that's really how my name ended up being thrown into the, into the mix and, um, and that, that has led to some very enjoyable collaborations with Sir Miles on not only the Christ College campus but um, other, other building projects as well.
2: Well, just to finish, Alec... Which is your favourite building in well, at Cross College?
3: That, that's a very hard question.
2: Ah, I thought it um, might be.
3: Yes, I, I, I think I'd come back to the dining hall again, the Cecil Wood masterpiece, but it's, it'd be, the building known as Hare Memorial Library, also by Cecil Wood, would be a very close second. And it probably has... Um, it, it, it's a more exciting building the Hare Memorial Library, if it's possible to think of a building, you know, from the nineteen mm. twenties as exciting. It just it really is a breathtaking building. Um and and again I think Cecil Wood he really caught the essence of what Christ's College was trying to be with the English roots and 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 just the the amalgamation of, of so many influences and then as colonial architects were apt to do you know cleverly combining different techniques in and construction and, and different materials to give a couple of really highly original buildings um i mean they are absolute showstoppers tourists who walk past the christ college gates here across the campus they see across the quadr- quadrangle and they see the Yale memorial library and it really just stops them in their tracks and they and then they're drawn into the into the main gates, and you know they usually take a few photographs. It just naturally is an inherently eye-catching uh, and very carefully made building. It really is something. So it's, it's somewhere between those two. Definitely, Cecil Wood would be the standout yes. architect. Dine, <laughs> dining hall, dining hall first because of its urban presence and the dramatic space, and then Hare Memorial Library, a very close second, I think, Moran.
2: Well done, Alec. A very tricky question uh, to answer. So thank you for all the wonderful work that you and Sir Miles have done on this book and um, to Quentin Wilson for publishing it in, um, in this very handsome volume. The book is called Architectural Drawings of Christ College by Sir Miles Warren and Alec Bruce and it's published by Quentin Wilson Publishing. And join us, Maureen Rout and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.